Flakes of snow swirled and danced across the porch. The overlook faced it as it had for nearly three quarters of a century, its darkened windows now bearded with snow, indifferent to the fact it was now cut off from the world. Inside its shell, the three of them went about their early evening routine, like microbes trapped in the intestine of a monster. Stephen King, The Shining. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast focusing on the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm one of your hosts, Stephanie. And I'm your other host, Rachel. Tis a season for peace, joy, and love. So, of course, we're talking about ghosts, demons, and vampires. (laughs) On this episode, we're discussing wintry, holiday-themed horror fiction. So grab a cup of eggnog and join us for Books in the Freezer. So it's just about Christmas, so I thought this was the perfect time for us to talk about some holiday-themed reading. I don't know about you, but I always have a particular kind of book that comes to mind. You know, it's always cute contemporary. There's usually a romance in it, and then somewhere along the way, there's an angel that shows up, <laughs> and someone has a Christmas wish. You know what book I'm talking yeah, like about. Yeah, made by Hallmark. <laughs> exactly, and they churn out about 100 of them every December. So I guess I wanted to know, why do you think these kind of cute stories show up this time of year? I think it just goes with the time. You know, the holidays, they're usually a time for family and they're at the end of the year. So you're reflecting on all of the good stuff that's happened. And I can see people wanting to pick up a story that's just going to incorporate those feelings just because it is just such a happy time. I personally have a hard time getting into like super cute stories any time of year, but I do understand the appeal of like a cozy story, but it just usually doesn't work for me. No, I'm the same way. I kind of get pulled into the holidays because it's not like I'm a Grinch. I do like the idea of the Christmas spirit, all of that. So I'm always thinking I should pick one up and then I pick it up. And of course, it's totally different than the books I normally read. I don't read a lot of contemporary otherwise. Mm -hmm. And so when everything ends up happily ever after and there's this cute little ending with a nice little bow, I I get really mad at it, which is probably not the right effect they're going for. No, I get that. I'm the same way. (laughs) Well, at least I'm not alone because I always feel like that weirdo around Christmas that (laughs) is picking up like the giant horror books, which we'll get into in a moment. So I'm convinced that we can still have our creepy reading and enjoy the holidays. So that's why I thought this episode topic was perfect because there are crossovers within the genre of, you know, something holiday themed that's actually creepy because I'm of the opinion that there's actually a lot of creepy things about the holidays anyway. So we decided to ask the listeners on Twitter and Instagram, what were some holiday and seasonal things that they actually find a little bit creepy? And we had some great responses. It was kind of a broad question, but I thought that people came through and it was, I loved all the responses we got. Oh, you guys totally came through. I am going to say that I definitely stand by the fact that Elf on the Shelf, super creepy, guys. If you really think about it, its whole job is to just sit somewhere and watch your kids and wait for them to do something bad to tell Santa. Like, hello, can you say Big Brother? Creepy. It's so terrifying. Yes, and Rebecca at the Bookmaster agreed with me, so I felt validated. Did you do that with your kid? No. Good. It's just a lot of effort to move it every day. Honestly, I'm just a lazy parent. The truth comes out. <laughs> the one that came to mind for me was definitely gingerbread men, specifically the fact that everyone goes and like immediately has to bite the 
arms and legs off of them. Like, what is it about us that turns us all into monsters where we're just biting the limbs off tiny people? Not the gumdrop buttons! Exactly. On Twitter, I definitely stole the Shrek gif just because it was too funny. If you think about it, in any other context, we would be cannibals. But because it's Christmas, it's adorable to just bite the legs off of people. Erica Robin sent us this. The line from Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping and he knows when you're awake. So a little bit stalkery. That line always bothers me. It's just, I don't know. Like, is it supposed to be endearing that he's just always watching? Yeah, I don't know. Natalie Murray said that her kids were freaked out that Sienna finds a way into your house when you're asleep. And they are scared near to tears about it on Christmas Eve. I find that (laughs) hilarious. (laughs) Because you think about it, like, as a parent, you're going around saying, oh, by the way, there's this creepy man who's going to show up in your house tonight while you're sleeping. Just... Don't worry about it. This is a good thing. And any other day, that would be absolutely terrifying. You would call the police. And I found in general, a lot of our responses came back to Santa Claus probably being the number one creepiest part of the holidays. I know uh, Victoria from Books and Things said, A fat dude keeps track of your behavior 24-7 and breaks into your house? Terrifying. I think she said it so well. Yeah, I think that about sums it up. Courtney Pickles gave us some food for thought, too. She said Krampus, for sure. European folklore says he was the opposite of St. Nicholas and also his companion and would punish all the bad children. Now, this totally reminds me. I know this is the second episode in a row that I'm referencing The Office. But do you remember when Dwight wanted to do an authentic Pennsylvania Dutch Christmas and he dressed up as Belschnickel yes. and started smacking yes. people? Yes. Oh, that's one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> You can reference the office in every okay. episode as far as I'm, I'm concerned. Me, I love it too. We don't have a quota on that. And then Laura Little Pony went all out psycho and said, traveling often long distances in dangerous weather to sit around a tree with relatives you may hate is pretty weird and creepy in and of itself. It would be a good time to creep around killing people, then strange people and vehicles are always around in every neighborhood. Looks like she's already got her alibi set up. And I'm a little worried about that. It's like either we're kindred spirits or I'm terrified of you, we're Laura. keep a closer watch on you. Just a little bit. You and Santa Claus are getting in. I don't know. You guys are coordinating efforts, I'm pretty sure. Well, I'm really glad we did the exercise just because my goal was to convince everyone that you can enjoy the holidays and still read dark fiction because I feel like it's always one or the other. And I know a lot of people who normally read darker fiction, psychological thrillers, horror, all of that, suddenly turn to cute contemporaries around this time of year. And I'm convinced that we can kind of have our cake and eat it too. I don't know. Why do you think that holiday horror is just so much fun? I think overall, I love the idea of taking something like this time of year that makes people feel safe and making something horrific out of it. I think we talked about it in our first episode with Horror Store that like no one would ever feel unsafe in an Ikea, but somehow we're able to take that and, you know, make something horrific out of it. And I think I like the idea of channeling that. No, I like that a lot that you're really taking an idea and just twisting it around because that's something I think horror does regardless of whether it's holiday horror or not, is it really takes concepts like children and turns them into creepy little beings or whatever the case is. So it makes sense to take Santa Claus, who's already a creepy dude, and just taking it a little bit further. And I think the holidays are just really good for that. And in some ways, it's almost maybe a little bit of stress relief because I know around the holidays, like I have a lot of pressure when I host all of my extended family and there's all these expectations to have the perfect Christmas. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's really fun to just indulge in a book that's just about Christmas gone horribly wrong because no matter what you know even if I burn the turkey on Christmas day at least no one died so (laughs) 
<laughs> Books like that help to set the expectations at a reasonable level. Nice. So on that note, do you have any books that you're planning on reading over the holidays? I don't know if you're taking any vacation from work. No vacation, but there is a Cloak and Dagger like mystery readathon next month. So I'm hoping to take that and read a few mystery books next month. Oh. And I know you and I and a few people are planning on picking up Keelan Patrick Burke's Kin sometime in the next couple of days. So I'm excited about that. I'm so excited for that. I sent out a tweet and just said, I you know, need something horrific to read this time of year. And you all delivered and agreed to buddy read with me. So I think that'll be a lot of fun. I always take the week off between Christmas and New Year's just because my office closes, which means I have a lot more reading mm-hmm. time. Awesome. I know. I'm so excited. I mean, and see family and all sure, that good sure. stuff. But let's be honest, <laughs> I'm going to read for a week. But because I have a lot more time, my plan is to read some bigger books because I don't know about you, but I tend to pick up shorter books. So if I have more time, it's a perfect excuse to get some really chunky horror books out of the way. So that being said... I am attempting to get House of Leaves from the library to read this Christmas season. I will keep you posted. I currently have it on hold at the library. I might just even pick up a copy just so that I have one to own so I'm not worrying about the return date. But yes, Laura, one of our listeners, has been peer pressuring me to do this. (laughs) So I thought this is a perfect time of the year and I can do maybe a follow-up to our first episode when we were talking, of course, about haunted houses. Otherwise, I'm definitely planning on reading some other horror books for upcoming podcast topics, but I don't want to give away too much, so I'm going to stay mysterious and not mention any titles. And I just got notification last night that Paperbacks from Hell, The Twisted History of 70s and 80s Horror Fiction by Grady Hendrix just shipped from my library. I was hoping to read that for the nonfiction episode, but alas, you've probably already listened to the episode and know it's not in there, so I was too late for that, but I'm still going to read it because I really want to. Have you seen that one yet? Oh, I want to read it so bad. It's on my wish list. I'm kind oh. of pushing my wish list in front of anyone who will listen, and I'm just going to hope it's it's somewhere on Christmas. Yeah. Husbands, if you're actually listening to our podcast. I know mine doesn't, but maybe yours will. Hint, hint. Christmas is around the corner. That would be a really nice gift. So let's talk about the actual books that we want to recommend in this episode. Some of them are going to be specific to Christmas, and some of them are going to be more wintry themed. But starting right off the gates with a holiday book, I read Krampus the Yule Lord by Brahm. So this is a twisted fairy tale about a failed songwriter named Jesse who watches Santa crash out of the sky when his sleigh is attacked by a horde of demons. Jesse then gets possession of Santa's magical sack, which he uses for his own selfish purposes because whenever he thinks of a toy that he wants, he is able to pull it out of the bag. And then along the way, he gets pulled into this epic fight between Santa Claus and the ancient creature, of course, known as Krampus. Doesn't that sound ridiculous? That sounds pretty ridiculous, (laughs) but awesome at the same time. It really is. I will say that while I'm putting this in this episode, it is a little bit more on the fantasy side than straight up horror. It reads, like I mentioned, as more of a twisted fairy tale. It doesn't have all the elements that would normally be in a horror story, but it's definitely this dark, twisted story that will appeal to people who normally read horror books. I just love Krampus. I'm really happy that someone mentioned him earlier in the episode because... He's just so much fun as a character, and I think there's been a bit of a resurgent in the last couple of years to bring him back. Uh, This book particularly is actually quite vulgar. There's some really intense, gruesome scenes in it, as you would expect, and at the same time, it's very darkly funny, and I really like that mix of horror and humor when it's done right. doesn't always work for me, but in this case, I found myself cracking up reading it. 
the humor in it was just right on point. The illustrations throughout the book are phenomenal. It was my first time reading Brahm and I guess he does all his own illustrations and they're just dark and creepy and match the feeling of the book so well. So I like that this is holiday themed, but it is a little bit non-Christian centric, which is kind of nice if you don't come from that religious tradition. There's a lot of pagan influence as well as some North mythology thrown in there and of course Santa Claus. So in terms of holiday references, this is definitely one to read in December if possible because, you know, when Santa Claus is a character in the story, it's not one you want to be reading on the beach in July. This would be perfect for Christmas if you can get your hands on it. The illustrations, the humor, it was just fantastic. In terms of scariness, I do want to put it as room temperature just because it reads more like fantasy if you're expecting to be horrified by it. You might be a little disappointed, but if you read it expecting just a dark, fantastical story, it's so much fun. That sounds hilarious. I would really like to see what you think of it if you pick it up at some time. It was so different than anything I've read in quite a while. It was over the top and hilarious. I love it so much. I have another... Christmassy horror book and that is of course Nosferatu by Joe Hill which I don't know if this is my favorite Joe Hill I've only read this in horns and I've loved them both like he has not disappointed me yet oh me neither I love horns but this is a close second for me so the synopsis for this is Victoria McQueen has a secret gift for finding things her rally tough burner bike She makes her way to a rickety covered bridge that, within moments, takes her wherever she needs to go, whether it's across Massachusetts or across the country. Charles Talent Manx has a way with children. He likes to take them for rides in his 1938 Rolls-Royce Wraith with a Nosferatu vanity plate. And with his old car, he can slip right out of the everyday world and onto hidden roads that transport them to an astonishing and terrifying playground of amusement he calls Christmas Land. Then one day, Vic goes looking for trouble and finds Manx. That was a lifetime ago. Now Vic, the only kid to ever escape Manx's unmitigated evil, is all grown up and desperate to forget. But Charlie Manx never stopped thinking about Victoria McQueen. He's on the road again, and he's picked up a new passenger, Vic's own son. Ah, I love this book so much. It also had such a strong protagonist. I think I read a lot of horror novels where I don't think they had particularly memorable protagonists, but I love Vic. Vic is such a badass. And I, uh, fingers crossed for this adaptation (laughs) that's hopefully coming on AMC that we talked about. Yes. So if you don't know, Joe Hill is Stephen King's son. And if you read his books, Joe Hill definitely has his own voice, his own style. But I thought there was a thematic nod to it because Vic comes into contact with Manx. So she fights a kind of supernatural evil as a child and then has to fight it again as an adult. But to fight it as an adult, she has to harness some of her childlikeness and something from her past as a child. So I thought that was a kind of thematic tie to it that I thought was interesting. Oh, I never thought about that because I read this before I read it. So I never actually made that connection back. That's really smart. It was interesting. I like the idea of that. Also, I love the use of Christmas and like Christmas carols and Christmas stuff. Just so the use of it was so sinister. (laughs) Charlie Manx basically uses it to lure kids to his car. You know, it's kind of like, come here, I've got candy. But like, come here, I've got Christmas. Oh, it's so creepy. And I love that the Wraith 
is basically its own character with its own personality. And this book is really long, which I usually have a really hard time with long books. But this was just action packed. And the audiobook, like I've mentioned multiple times, is fantastic. So the holiday references in this are obviously Christmas Land, which I'm not going to spoil anything. So I'm not going to explain that to you. You need to read it and find out what Christmas Land is. So there's jingle bells, Christmas music. There's just a lot of Christmas imagery going on if you read it. I would put this in the fridge. There are, I think, some freezer moments and it's very action packed and it does have moments of dark humor. So I would definitely recommend this book. I know Rachel, she has read it and has also loved it. Yes, I will second <laughs> that. I need to gush about it a little bit myself. Manx is so creepy. I would definitely put his scenes in the fridge, if not the freezer. Definitely one of the most twisted horror books I've read in a lot of ways. And oh, it just gives me the heebie-jeebies. I think it'd be really fun to be reading this around Christmas just because of the references of the Jingle Bell music. Mm-hmm. I think that would just be so creepy just to have it show up on the radio at just the right time. Yes. And oh, so creepy. So I'd agree. And even though you're right, it was pretty long. I flew through it. It read like a thriller to me just in terms of the pacing. It was so intense and I didn't want to stop. So to switch to a quieter book, I want to recommend A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Yes, this one's maybe a little bit obvious, but I'm putting it in here anyway. If you somehow don't know the general plot, this is about a crotchety old man named Ebenezer Scrooge, who is incredibly miserly, and so on Christmas Eve, he is visited by the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. I actually don't know. Have you read this one? I haven't. I feel like I should, because I always complain that Charles Dickens' books are, like, too long and there's too many people, and people always tell me to read A Christmas Carol because it's, you know, a fairly doable book for being a Dickens Yes, I admit that I'm not a classics reader at all, but I really enjoy this one. And I'm going to give you the audiobook because it's the best way to listen to it. Just because the audiobook that I have is narrated by Tim Curry, which of course... Fantastic. I know, he's the original Pennywise. And I don't know about you, did you grow up watching The Muppet Christmas Carol? Yes. Okay, good. So you know what I'm talking about. Because that was my first introduction to it. Sure, there's a million different adaptations. There's a classic one, all that. But that's the one I was really familiar with. So I didn't think this book was really scary at all going into it. I was just like, oh, it's a funny little story about an old miserly Mm -hmm. man. But when you actually go back to the source material, when you have it narrated by Tim Curry, it's actually really creepy in my mind, like creepy for a classic. It's not a freezer book. But when you're actually hearing about the ghosts visiting this man in the middle of the night and you see the shackles on them, the ominous tone, It gets a little bit weird. If you actually had this happen to you, I would be freaking out if I had this evening where these ghosts started showing up. And I was surprised how creepy. I think this is perfect to put on as an audiobook, maybe when you're doing some baking or if you're alone in your house at night, you know, wrapping presents. It's just surprisingly creepy. So yes, it's a classic. Everyone knows it. But for people like you who maybe haven't actually read it yet, check it out. Try to get it on audio. And it's recently creepy. It's probably room temperature by today's standards. But if you're listening to an audiobook, I don't know, it'd be better chilled in the fridge. It had just creepy moments, surprisingly. That is weird to think about, but I'll definitely give it a try, especially if Tim Curry's narrating. I listened to Dracula on audiobook recently, and he did the voice of Van Helsing, and it was really good. Oh, I missed that. I now I have to check out that one, too. So my next book is very relevant to our podcast. I know you guys have been waiting. 
Why do you have a copy of The Shining in your freezer? Oh, I was reading it last night and I got scared. So. But uh, you're safe from it if it's in the freezer? Well, safer. So yes, I am talking about The Shining by Stephen King. Here is the synopsis for that story if you are unfamiliar with it. Jack Torrance's new job at the Overlook Hotel is the perfect chance for a fresh start. As the off-season caretaker at the atmospheric old hotel, he'll have plenty of time to spend reconnecting with his family and working on his writing. But as the harsh winter sets in, the idyllic location feels ever more remote and more sinister. And the only one to notice the strange and terrible forces gathering around the Overlook is Danny Torrance, a uniquely gifted five-year-old. This was my first Stephen King novel ever. I was absolutely not disappointed. And I actually read this to my son while I was pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) That is so you. Well, I was reading, you know, when you're, you just read articles and it's like, you know, read to your kids because they just like to hear their mom's voice. They didn't specify like what kind of stuff to read to them. feel like they should have been more specific. Like do not read The Shining to your child, Stephanie. (laughs) (laughs) Poor kid's traumatized now for no, life. No, he's like super into dark stuff. So maybe that was why. Oh, you're priming yeah. him. He was smart. Uh, so this is a book I definitely need to reread. There is no mention of the holidays, but it is, as I mentioned in the synopsis, a winter setting. The Torrance family is stuck in this hotel for the winter uh, while they are the off-season caretakers. And it gets so creepy. Have you ever read this or seen the movie? I haven't, but I actually knew very little of the actual plot before you read it out just there. So okay, I would suggest... I need to change that. Uh, read it first before watching the movie. Okay, that's good to know. I've heard it's kind of Christmassy theme. Maybe it's not actually set around Christmas, but I know quite a few people who rewatch it every... The movie, at least, rewatch it every Christmas. It's just wintry. So snow always makes me feel like it's Christmas. Definitely. Ugh, this was just such a well-done book. The whole novel is just this buildup of unease in all directions. You have Jack Torrance's alcoholism. You have this claustrophobic setting where these characters are stuck in this hotel. You know, they have nowhere to go. There's whispering ghosts. And of course, my favorite breakdowns of relationships and trust so (laughs) this was a stephanie's bingo card (laughs) i'm here for this so the movie adaptation by stanley kubrick is fantastic but it is very different so there's a lot of iconic things from the movie that are not in the book so the book does not have creepy twins there's no bloody elevators there's no mazes those were all things that were added and i know stephen king hates the stanley kubrick adaptation because it was just super different and there's a character, yeah, really? there's a character that gets like a very different ending. Uh, so it's just, it's extremely different. But uh, there was an adaptation, like a mini series that was very similar to the book, and I did not like it. So I think they're both great works of art separately. Makes sense. Wintry, like I mentioned, it's snowing, it's the off season. I am putting this book in the freaking freezer. There are so many moments of just utter dread while you are reading this book. I think this has to be probably my scariest Stephen King book I've read. And you read this to your child. That's that's hilarious. I don't remember if it was a scary scene or not. Oh, it wasn't the whole book. No, I didn't read like a whole gigantic book. I would just think about it every now and then and be like, oh, here's a passage I'll read to you. I'm a great mom. Please don't take my children away. So my next pick is The Winter People by Jennifer McMahon, which I love. This story is told over two different timelines. Both of these timelines take place in the same isolated farmhouse in Vermont. In the present day, it's about two sisters that are stuck in their house during a snowstorm, and they are looking for their mother who has mysteriously disappeared. In the other timeline, it's set around the 1900s, and it 
follows a couple who were finally able to have a daughter after years and years of unsuccessfully trying. And as a result, the mother is incredibly anxious that something terrible is going to happen. And then, of course, her daughter disappears. I don't want to say too much more than that because while this is a horror book, it also has elements of a thriller and I just, I'm I really went back and forth about how much of the synopsis to put in there, so I'm just going to stop there. But I think that this book will appeal a lot to people who normally, as I mentioned, read thrillers but are looking to get into horror. This book just has so much atmosphere. I mentioned that it's all set during snowstorms, both in the present day and in the past. And I remember reading this on like a cold wintry I think January day and it's perfect anytime if you can fit this in anytime before it melts especially if there's a blizzard coming to your area just curl up around the fire and read this because the setting is easily one of the creepiest parts about the book. It's definitely a quieter horror story compared to some of the other books we're talking about but it just had a lot of good creepy elements. For me I definitely found it unnerving at times and I'm usually someone who needs really over-the-top horror in order to be scared but some of the small details just really twisted my guts a little bit and just made me a little bit uncomfortable. There was some, oh, so much stuff I want to talk about, but it's all in the ending, so I can't say anything. <laughs> I would say the contemporary timeline was more room temperature. I didn't find it particularly scary, but the old time set around, I think it was 1908, I would put that timeline in the fridge because it was really creepy to me. And I just loved Love that book. I know you didn't love it as quite as much as me. No, it was not dark enough for me. I think I went into it thinking it was going to be scary. And I saw a lot of people that don't read horror saying it was scary. But I think it is a little bit more of like a thriller mystery. And the 1908 timeline, me, was just a lot better. It was a lot more interesting. And I just didn't care about the contemporary timeline at all. Yeah, I get that. Even though I loved it, I would have loved it even more if they just took out the whole contemporary timeline. If the whole thing was in the past, I probably would have given it five stars. I really like the past. But I can see if you expect it to be ridiculously scary. Yeah. And maybe that's something we can talk about in a future episode is I find expectations are so important. When someone tells me a book is going to scare the pants off yeah. me, and then I find it really room temperature. I'm disappointed even if I can read another book and someone says it's not creepy, but it's good, go read it. I feel a lot differently about it. But when someone says this is the scariest book you've ever read, it sets pretty high expectations for me. No, I definitely agree. I'm always really worried when I recommend a book and people are like, oh, I'm definitely going to read it. I'm like, okay, just be careful of this, this and this. It's a little slow at the beginning. Like, don't hate it. Um. <laughs> oh, I know. Now we're trying to do a whole podcast of that. I'm like, so. oh my gosh, if you hate it, I'm sorry. So my next book is another wintry read. And this is Let the Right One In by John Adita Lindquist. I tried watching YouTube videos. You can ask Rachel <laughs> to try to get the correct pronunciation yes. for that name because he is Swedish and that's as close as I'm going to get. I'm sorry. I watched it over and over again. I love this book though. So if you don't know the synopsis, it is autumn 1981 when the inconceivable comes to Blackburg, a suburb in Sweden. The body of a teenage boy is found emptied of blood. The murder rumored to be part of a ritual killing. 12-year-old Oscar is personally hoping that revenge has come at long last, revenge for the bullying he endures at school, day after day. But the murder is not the most important thing on his mind. A new girl has moved in next door, a girl who has never seen a Rubik's Cube, but who can solve it all at once. There's something wrong with her, though. 
something odd. And she only comes out at night. Have you read this? I haven't, but I definitely need to. I know you really enjoy it, and I'd have to check it out for myself. It's a pretty iconic one. It is iconic. I don't know what my excuse is. It's definitely a me book. So when I've posted about this, a lot of people have come at me and said that this isn't horror, which I will fight you, because I realize that the big thing that the book is focusing on is the friendship between Oscar and Ellie, who is a vampire. That's not a spoiler. That's like everyone knows that going into this book. And while the book does have a sweetness and a poignancy to it, that doesn't mean it doesn't have horror elements or that, you know, suddenly they don't count because there's this beautiful friendship at the center of it. So in the periphery of their friendship, there are some grisly murders. (laughs) And I remember feeling a sense of dread when the murder scene was going to happen because you have an omniscient third person point of view in this book. So you are seeing this thing happen. You are seeing the person that's like about to get murdered and you just have that like sunk in your gut feeling like, oh no, get out of there. What are you doing? Also, this book gets hella dark. There are very vivid descriptions of Oscar getting bullied at the hands of his classmates. It's heartbreaking. I feel horrible for Oscar. He can't catch a break. He, you know, he's raised by a single mom. He's poor. So to just console himself, he has these murderous revenge fantasies. There's also a bit of pedophilia. Like, it's gross. It makes you throw up in your mouth a little bit. There are scenes that had me like, Ugh. I mentioned the murder scenes. And I love what this brings to the vampire genre. I love the vampire genre, which we will talk about in a future episode. I am sure of it. But the vampire genre is usually a metaphor for sexuality and in Victorian literature, especially taboo sexual practices, stuff like homosexuality or polyamory. But the vampirism in this book is completely asexual. Ellie is asexual. And I think you could even go so far as to say that Ellie is non-binary. And I definitely recommend watching the Swedish movie. It is fantastic. It is obviously in Swedish. So you will have to read subtitles, but it is worth it. It is just a beautiful movie. So it takes place during a Swedish autumn, but it is snowing. I would say like the whole movie has like shades of blue and gray. It just has this winter aesthetic and it is gorgeous. My rating for this, I'm definitely putting this in the fridge. There are a lot of bits of it that are slow, but I think it leaves you with so much to think about. And I mentioned those murder scenes are like creepy. Oh, that sounds so good. I definitely need to check that one out. It will happen. I'll keep promising you that and actually, I just need to actually go and do it now, I think. It's a long one. Because I told you I'm going to read it a few times. There, I can read that over Christmas when I have time for big books. I've got no excuses left. I know when people pick it up, I'm like, just remember, it's slow, it's not horror all the way through, and it's big. (laughs) So just keep all those in mind. If it's not fast paced, I'm going to send you hate messages. (laughs) Okay. So my last pick is Suffer the Children by Craig DeLuey. And this is about a devastating illness called Herod Syndrome that suddenly kills off all the young children in the world. However, soon after the children begin to reanimate, but they have a thirst for blood. And what transpires is a bit of an apocalyptic story that really is about the lengths that parents will go in order to keep their children alive and safe. And I picked this up because I just heard vampire children and thought that it would be super creepy. And it was a little bit different than you'd almost expect from the synopsis that while the children are seeking blood, they're actually not as creepy as you would expect them to be. Yeah, I wanted them to be a little scarier. They, They picked up towards the end. Instead, I would say the horror of this book really comes from the parents' perspective. And so this is a book I would recommend to parents because so much of it is about the horror of being helpless to save your children, to protect them. Obviously, if something like this would happen, it would just change our world and 
it really explores the consequences of what would happen and how society would just break down. In some ways, it was actually a really sad story. You have to be in the right space because I know not everyone is even comfortable reading about children at home. So trigger warnings if that's not your thing. In terms of the lengths the parents go to protect their children, I'll say that it's really over the top. You definitely have to be able to suspend your disbelief because the parents go nuts. And maybe it's because I don't have kids myself, but I'm like, yeah, sure. Would you really do that? So maybe you'll have to read it and tell me if you're like, no, no, I would, I would do this. <laughs> so I don't want to give away too much, but you'll have to let me know if it's as unrealistic as I thought. But while this is about a plague, it is set around Christmas, which is why I want to include it in this episode. So there's a lot of references to picking up Christmas trees, wrapping presents with the children, and the story does take place over several months. So you could read this after the holidays and it wouldn't feel weird. So it has those references, but they're not over the top. So it's kind of a win-win if you read it during Christmas, great. But if you read it later, you're not going to feel like it's out of place. Overall for rating, I'd put it at room temperature just because I didn't particularly connect with the scariness of it. Again, a parent might rate that a little bit differently, but it was an interesting one for sure, but not quite as creepy as I would have hoped. So now we want to talk about some of the other things that we're loving at the moment. And I was so determined to have a Christmassy recommendation for the section. So right before we recorded this, I decided to get a couple of movies out from my library. I requested two and I'm glad I got two because I first tried watching A Christmas Horror Story, which is a Canadian horror story exactly like it sounds and it was so cheesy and so bad so we don't normally do this but I'm going to give an anti-recommendation and say skip a Christmas horror story it's so bad <laughs> I didn't like it if someone liked it I'd love to know it does have William Shatner in it which was kind of a bonus I did enjoy his sections but I was regretting picking that one up but thankfully I got a second movie and this one I am going to recommend and that is the 2015 version of Krampus which was dark and creepy, but at the same time, it was really funny and had some great Christmassy feels. The general synopsis is that a dysfunctional family is getting together for the holidays, and of course, things go horribly wrong when one of the young boys accidentally summons the festive demon Krampus to come visit them. And as I mentioned, there is humor in this one, but unlike the other movie I tried watching, this one was serious enough that it just didn't feel over the top. It has a great cast of characters. It has the actor who played Todd Packer in The Office. See, now I'm making <laughs> office references Second as well. Second one for the quota. And then it also had Derek from Step Brothers. I think you know the actor's name. Is it Adam Scott from Parks and Rec? Yes, okay. I think so. And they just nailed it. Like I said, it was dark and creepy but at the same time they had all these festive moments there is a lot of cgi in it which probably is a little bit unrealistic looking but i just thought it was great there are creepy gingerbread men evil toys evil clowns and of course krampus shows up and i just thought it was really well done it also has a german grandmother who doesn't speak very much english and that really helped to ground the movie because she gave the folklore and the backstory around Krampus, telling her experiences growing up in Europe. And I really thought that that kind of just gave a level of seriousness to the movie that allowed it to be balanced out with how ridiculously cheesy it was. So I don't know why the two movies, they should have been the same, but for whatever reason, one worked and one didn't. So my recommendation is the 2015 movie Krampus. I'd love to know if anyone else has watched it because I thought it was a blast. I finished it last night and 
I've kind of been giddy about it ever since. I'm definitely going to have to check it out. It's definitely on my to-watch list. So my recommendation is one that was recommended to me by Rachel. I'm so happy, (laughs) mostly because I've been stealing your recommendations for the last several episodes. So it's the Scream TV show from MTV, which, guys... I was so skeptical going into this. First of all, it's a teen show, which I do watch. I consider them like guilty pleasures. Like, don't get me wrong. I watch Riverdale. So this is good if you're like a fan of Riverdale, but you want a little bit more murder. Because Riverdale has murder, (laughs) but like amped up. Also, I was worried because this is from MTV. And I did not grow up in a good era for MTV. Like, I didn't grow up in the music video era of MTV. I grew up in the reality show era of MTV. So I did not have high expectations for this, but it was pretty good. I was worried they were not going to pay the franchise the respect and not have the meta references that the original franchise had, but it totally did. I was so happy. You know, there's a character that's like, you can't do a horror story as a show. So it's just really funny. There's a lot of meta humor like that. I was shocked at how gory it got and what like MTV was allowed to show or like what MTV did with it. There's a guy that gets cut in half with farm equipment and it kind of shows it. I was floored. So I absolutely loved it. I loved that it was a modern take on the series. It brings it up to date. You know, there's technology, there's texting, Skype, and even podcasting. My only issue is that the final girl character, you know, she's no Sydney Prescott. <laughs> she's a little bit of a wet blanket. But I love the rest of the cast. The rest of the cast totally makes up for her lack of charisma. (laughs) There's a different ghost face mask, but I thought it was still super creepy. If you're a big fan of the movies, you're going to catch a lot of the subtle nods that there are throughout the show. And I just, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was great. I finished watching both seasons and then there's like a movie kind of thing at the very end of the second season. I didn't think that was that great. But the first two seasons I thought were fantastic. I'm so relieved that you liked it. When you told me that you were watching it, I was really nervous because I mentioned first, I was like, oh, I'm watching it. It's pretty good. But I knew how cheesy it could be. The fact that it's very much a teen drama mixed in with all this horror. And I was like, oh, Stephanie, if you hate it, don't judge me. But I was so happy. You've actually surpassed me. I haven't quite finished season one. I got it spoiled for me, which kind of slowed me down. I know the internet is a terrible place. I should not go there anymore. Season one was great. Season two doesn't have quite as high of a body count, but it was pretty good. Oh, I'll forgive it. You know the things that normally sell me on a TV show. It's like, how many people die? How high is body count? But that monologue at the beginning was just so good. That one character, and I'm so bad at names. Noah, yes, who goes and he's like, well, there's no way you could do a slasher as a TV show. And goes on to list all the reasons you can't. That was just what sold me on the show. It just was so brilliant. And I definitely want to watch more meta horror because it's just so brilliant okay everyone let's bomb rachel with recommendations that she needs to watch cabin in the woods everyone just send her (laughs) send her all the tweets (laughs) sounds good so we know there are so many more horror books that around the holidays or set in winter so we'd love you all to recommend us some of your favorites if we get enough recommendations we can do a sequel episode next christmas thank you so much for listening to the podcast we post episodes every other tuesday this is a bi-weekly show so we would love to hear from you. You can catch us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod. You can find us on Instagram at Books in the Freezer. Or you can shoot us an email at booksinthefreezer at gmail.com. Everything that we've referenced in this episode will be in the show notes. And that is booksinthefreezer.wordpress.com. 
I am Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N or on YouTube as That's What She Read. And you can find me, Rachel, on Twitter at Shades underscore Orange and on YouTube and Instagram at The Shades of Orange. Thank you so much and join us next time for Books in the Freezer. Thank you.